This is a, I, a series that has been just walking through uh, the book of Matthew and how Jesus is inviting us into his story. And as we walk through this, there's a key theme in Matthew. It's the kingdom of heaven. He keeps referring back to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. So we have walked through the book of Matthew, and now we're more than two-thirds of the way. We're actually following Jesus' journey back to Jerusalem when he's uh, on his way to Jerusalem, and he knows he's going to be crucified. So for those of you that haven't been here or don't know where we're at in the, in, the, uh, in, in, the, in the series of getting there, let me catch you up. Last week, we talked about uh, Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus is telling them the story of the, the parable of the uh, servant who wouldn't forgive. So he's forgiven, and he doesn't forgive. If you want to hear that message, jump on our app. app. You can get on Spotify, find Authentic Church on Spotify, listen to it there. Uh, but uh, last, that was last week. And he leaves from that point. He's, uh, um, he was in uh, Capernaum. So he leaves Capernaum. Let me show you the map real quick. He's, he was in Capernaum. So a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how they were in Caesarea Philippi. And then they came down to Capernaum, which was Jesus' hometown. They leave Capernaum, and you can see they're making a journey back to Jerusalem. And the, uh, all we get a, a clue of where they're at now is that they're on the east side of the Jordan River. So we just know he's somewhere in that expanse of, uh, of where he's going. We don't get any real details. We just know he's on the east side of the Jordan River heading back to Jerusalem. And that's where we're going to pick up our text. And it says this. It says, okay, well, let me first, before we get there, uh, Matthew chapter 19 He's being tested by Pharisees, and, uh, and they're, they're trying to trick him, and they're trying to, to, to really catch him. And it gets, it gets interesting, because they try to get him. They actually, I, was going, I almost threw another message in here, because they get to this point, and they're testing Jesus on a, on a, a topic that they're, they're going back and forth on. They, they're debating on marriage and divorce. So there's some rabbis that say you can get divorced, uh, doesn't matter, as long as you give uh, your wife a certificate of divorce, it don't matter, you can divorce. The other one said you can't get divorced no matter what. And then there's in between. So they go up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, what do you think? And he says, well, listen, um, if you, um, Moses said you could get divorced, and that's, the, they go back to Moses, they said, he, he said you could get divorced because you guys can't make a commitment. You guys are a bunch of sissies. And you can't hold on to your commitment, so he let you be sissies. It's in, that's, the, that's the Josh translation, but it was, it's pretty much what he's saying. He's like, come on, you guys just don't have it. And then he comes, he, uh, he says, now there are some of you, for the sake of the kingdom, can be eunuchs. Because they, they, they say, hey, if that's the case, then it's better just not to get married at all. And they go, well, Jesus is like, well, that's, some of you can do it because you're eunuchs. Now, so for those of you that don't have a history or a language understanding of what a eunuch is, let me help you. Um, okay, K-5 kids should be over there, because um, what I'm about to say, if you're in here, parents, you're going to have to maybe have some little explaining to do later. That's, that's, that's on you. <laughs> so, uh, so a eunuch is a, is a person who is not able to produce a child because he doesn't have the equipment to produce. It's a male that does not have the equipment to produce a child. Now, he says, some of you are, uh, so there are eunuchs that are born, by, born that way. This is in the Bible. I'm not making this up. This is why you should read the Bible. You really, it's like really entertaining. He says, uh, <laughs> he says there's some of you that, are, that were born that way. That, that stinks. There's some of you that were made to be this way. That really stinks because you didn't even have a choice in it. That, and then there's some of you that chose to be this way. And he says, for the sake of the kingdom, some of you can do this. My question to you is, what are you willing to do for the sake of the kingdom? Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> you can see some guys squirming. Uh, so, you know, so this is this is the topic. They leave from that. To- he goes, okay, let's move on. He gets to the, uh, Matthew uh, chapter twenty, uh, chapter nineteen, verse sixteen is where we're going to pick up. He says, um, he got. Uh, he says some of you came to Jesus with this question. Here it is. Uh, if in your notes it says some of you came, someone came to Jesus with this question, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life. Now he's asking the question lots of us have asked. How do I get to heaven? That's his question. He is asking a little, like, hey, Jesus, uh, I'm coming to you as, the, as a good teacher, and how do I get to heaven? And he's asking for, his stamp, for it to be stamped, and he says, well, if you want to get to heaven, he, Jesus responds by, why do you ask what is good? Now, what he's doing here, and I don't have time to get into this because context, context, context matters, but uh, we have a, actually a connect group uh, on Thursday nights if you want more information on this topic. He says to them, why are you calling me good? And the guy, he says, but let me answer your question. He's poking at him, and you need to come to the connect group to get more information on that. But he says, hey, why are you calling me good? But there is only one who's good. But the answer to your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Nothing new here. No new information yet. The man says, which ones? Which ones do I need to keep? And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't even give all 10 of the original commandments. He gives these ones. And the man is like, good. I've met, I've obeyed all these commandments. The young man replied, what else must I do? And Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, Jesus just transitioned the topic from getting into heaven to now what we have been talking about for some time, about what it means to have kingdom of heaven come to earth. We have to have the kingdom of heaven come to earth. He says, well, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have a treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But then the young man heard this and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven heaven. Now, here's the first part that you need to grab. Let me, let me show you the, the, the image that I've been trying to grab for you. Here is, he says, hey, if you, you want to be going from getting into heaven to understanding what it means for heaven to come to earth, here's what you need to understand. That this whole kingdom of heaven topic that Matthew is teaching is not about someday, somewhere it's going to come. He says, hey, John teaches, the, uh, John the Baptist is the forerunner of Jesus, and he says the kingdom of heaven is near. He's teaching that. That's all he teaches. And then he's put in prison, and Jesus picks up that teaching and says the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he dies on the cross, and he says the kingdom of heaven is here. And what he's teaching them over and over again is that it's not some faraway mystical place that we're eventually going to get to someday. He says it's your responsibility to bring heaven to earth. In fact, he teaches us to pray that way. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, this is how you're to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is telling us over and over, I'm wanting to partner with you to make my kingdom come now. This is, I'm partnering with you. I want you to join the story of restoration. I want you to join the story of making the old creation 
is overwhelmed by the new creation. So he's teaching this over and over. You've got to grab this if we're going to understand what Jesus is teaching his disciples and the crowd around him when he's teaching this. He says, now, there's a transition. We're going to move from being this place of the kingdom come that will be done on earth as in heaven. So he's moving them in this direction. It says, the disciples were astounded. Then, who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God everything is possible. This picture that we had, uh, that I just had up there, cannot happen without God in the picture. Without Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, his kingdom cannot come. But he says, with him, all things are possible. So this is where he's bringing it all together. He's saying, hey, I need you guys to understand this. You can get to heaven by obeying the commandments, but I have more than that in store for you. I need the kingdom of heaven to come to earth, and humanly speaking, you can't do it. You can't do it. And then Peter said to him, we've given everything up to follow you. What will we get? <laughs> this is that moment. I, lo- I love Peter because I relate to Peter so well. Because Peter, once again, in his joyous moment of, I think I've got it, opens his mouth and goes 100 miles an hour. Because he's looking at this rich man who got, Jesus just told, hey, sell everything you've got if you want to be perfect. He's like, Jesus, 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 um, you told him that if he needed, to, if he wanted to be in the kingdom and have everything, that he needed to sell everything, but we did that. I, I left my parents, I left my home, I left my business, I left everything, Jesus, that's me. And he's doing this in front of everybody. Now, I don't know if you guys are office uh, watchers, you, you, anybody watch The Office? I, my son has got me back on the office, okay? And so we've been re- watching some reruns. And I was watching this rerun this week uh, with, my, with my boy. <laughs> He's, there's this show, one of the episodes where Pam decides she's not a good salesman or saleswoman. And she says, you know what? The guy walks in and says, who's the office administrator? And she jumps up and goes, that's me. And then she convinces everybody that she's been the office administrator. This is what Peter's doing. Peter's going, that's me. That's, he's putting himself in position. <laughs> I'm the guy. I'm the one that's been doing this for three years, Jesus. We've been following you. Yep, yep, yep. That's us. You know, and he's all pumped up. And Jesus then goes, okay, I assure you that when, I assure you that when the world is made new, so that old creation is overcome, the new creation overcomes the old creation, and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you, have, uh, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That judging there is a ruling judging, not a judging like you go to jail, you go to jail, you go free. He's talking about you, you are going to be ruling over the 12 tribes. And everyone who has given up the houses and brothers or sisters, some of you are like, brother, we can give them up? Like, that's, that's an option? <laughs> Well, uh, or father or mother or children or, or property, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Can you imagine the confusion that is going through Peter's mind? As he's going, as he's walking through this, he's like, yep. Yep, that's me. I get a hundred times. Yes, yes. But I'm going to be the, 
the greatest is going to become the least. And the, what, 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 is he, what is he trying to teach here? What, what is he trying to bring home? And what, what, is, what is he trying to do? And of course, what, what does Jesus do when it doesn't make sense? He tells a story. So Jesus helps Peter in this situation. He goes, all right, Peter, let me help you by telling you this story. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like, there's our key word, the kingdom of heaven is like. The, the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for, the, for his vineyard, he agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town. Again, he saw some people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. So here, let me catch you up real quick where he's at in the story. He goes, this is a, a man who owns a vineyard. He must be a fairly wealthy man. He's telling the story, goes into the marketplace at 6 a.m. to hire people to help him harvest his vineyard. He gets a, gets a group of men to go with him. He like, sends up, gets some work in, and he goes back to the, the marketplace at 9 o'clock. At 9 o'clock, he hires more. Then at noon, then at 3, and then at 5. He does the same thing. So now he's got a bunch of people working in his vineyard together. They're all co-workers working together. Then the end of the day comes along. That evening, he told the foreman, this is about 6 o'clock, to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage when they received their pay. They protested to the owner, those people who worked only one hour, yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. <laughs> he answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? And he wraps it all up and sums it again with this last phrase that he says, go, go to the next last part. So those who are last now will be first then. And those who are first will be last. So what's he do? He gets his group of workers, they're done working all day, and the guys that have been working one hour get paid the same, which would, in our uh, money exchange would be between $80 to $100. So let's just go with $100 because that's easy math. He says, okay, you guys are going to be hired for, uh, for the, the day. He starts off, I'm going to pay you the average daily wage between $80 to $100. Let's go with $100. You're going to get $100 for working with me today. They go, all right, good, sounds good, let's do this. They go off and they start working. But then he pays the same guys that just worked one hour, a hundred bucks. Now, how many of you, if you were told, could go to work tomorrow on Monday and work for one hour and get paid the same as if you worked eight hours? Mm -hmm. There's very few that would be like, nah, I'd rather just kind of, I'd rather work the whole day in the scorching sun. No, that you can imagine like how pumped they are. It's like winning the lottery. Like, yes, made money by working one hour. This is a good day. Love it. 
And so here they are. They, they get this money. They're pumped up. They're excited for this daily wage. And then there's the other group, he says, that are, that are a little upset. In fact, some of the translations say they're, they're envious. So what is Jesus confronting here? We've got this story coming together. We've got a rich man who can't get in the kingdom. We've got Peter who's pumped because he's already done all the sacrificing. And he's on his way with Jesus to Jerusalem. And then Jesus tells a story about a landowner who pays the last the same as the first. So what, 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 is, what is being addressed here? There's three people that we need to look at. There's the first ones that are hired. We'll talk about them in a minute. There's the second group that's hired that get paid a good wage for not doing the work. Now, just real quick, that would be a good thing, right? We can all agree. That would be a pretty amazing thing to be able to work a half a day or one hour, whatever it is, and get paid like I worked a whole day. We all like that. They were grateful, joyful, and left out of there going, I'm coming back to work for him, and I'm not showing up till three. <laughs> There's some economic things with this teaching that don't work if you're a good manager, but that's another subject. So he says, he says then there's, this, this, uh, there's the, uh, the, the other group that is the, uh, the last guy that we need to look at is the landowner. Now, I want to focus because the majority of, the, of this parable focuses on this group that gets a little upset. Now, the workers, prior to, let me throw the scripture up here. It says, when they were, when, it says, when those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed that they would receive more. Now, prior to them getting paid, they were all, worked all day thinking, hey, we're getting paid 100 bucks. This is a good day. I'm getting a good pay. Tomorrow, I'll be able to pay the bills. This is a good thing. They worked all day that way until they got paid. And they watched someone else get the same thing they got for working less because they assumed, you know what happens when you assume. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get it wrong. The rest of you, they have your mind in the gutter. Come on, we're at church. Come on. No, it, you and me end up looking like donkeys. Uh, so <laughs> we, have this, we have this moment where they assume that they're going to get to it. But up to that point, they were fine with what they were getting paid. What is Jesus addressing with this group? Comparison. Comparison. The first thing that's being confronted, anytime we're reading the story of Jesus, we need to ask the question, what is being confronted? And Jesus is confronting with this group of people, comparison. Because they were fine with what they were getting before they got to this place. But now, they're not so happy. The thing is, we all compare. We all compare. We base our success by looking at something or someone else. No matter what, we're going to determine how successful we are based upon where we are compared to something or someone else. Now, I, I want to be honest with you. This is one of those really difficult things that it's in every area. You think that, you know, eventually you get to a place where you don't deal with this. As a pastor, I deal with this because my church isn't as big as so-and-so's church, and they started at the same time we started. Why, why aren't we growing like they're growing? What are they doing that, well, you know what? I've been working just as hard as they were. They, they, you, know what? you know what it is? They got an unfair advantage. It's not fair. They got, the comparison creeps into every area of our lives. A comparison comes in, but here's the bottom line is, we, we, comparison is never a win. 
it always ends up, there's two things that will happen with comparison. You either, with comparison, you're either going to be, uh, go back, you, it, you, it either makes you insecure or prideful, one or the other. Comparison will either make you insecure or it'll make you prideful. Here's what it'll do. If you compare yourself to someone who's doing better than you, you're going to be insecure. If you compare yourself to someone else that's not doing as good as you, you're going to be prideful. Well, at least, you know, I, I compare myself to them, and they've got this going on, so <laughs> I, I, I'm doing a little bit better than they are. At least I'm not as bad as them. Or, man, they've got more in their bank account. They got a nicer house. They got a nicer boat. They got a nicer car. They got a nicer job. They got a, they got a better, they got better, they got a better spouse. Their husband's better looking and more in shape than mine. Their, their wife is, is a better cook than mine. It, it's no matter what we do, we're going to put ourselves into this position that we're either going to be insecure or we're going to be prideful. Neither, either way, we're going to end up in a negative place. And comparison always makes you look ugly. Makes us ugly. You know, they, have a, they actually have a psychological term for this. The, the psychological term is, uh, here it is, throw it up there. It's Go ahead. Schudenfreude. Yeah, that word. It is an actual psychological term that says we get pleasure derived from someone from, uh, from, uh, by someone from another person's misfortune. You see that this is why we all like the watch ridiculousness. <laughs> we love watching people slam their face in concrete. Right? It's like, you, what do you do? You laugh. Now, he, that's, that's cute and funny, but the truth is, it makes us ugly when we compare. Let me, let me back up. I'll, I'll help you. Let me, let me give you a personal illustration to make this work for you. I'll never forget my sophomore year. Two-a-days. Getting towards the end of, uh, of, us, of us two days that's of summer, we're getting ready to move into the regular practices, and things are starting to get in place. It's at that point of summer where the grass is no longer in the middle field. It's just that brown dirt right there at Quaker Stadium, right out in front there, and it's that dirt. And I'm a sophomore, and I'm trying to fight for position so that I can letter my sophomore year. I want to be a three-year letterman. And so I get out there. I'm running a post route, and here comes the ball. It's a pretty decently thrown, just a little bit out. I put everything I've got into it, and I leap with everything I've got, and it just grazes off my fingertips, and I miss it. Oh. And as I'm jogging back to get in line to get my next rep, here goes the senior starting receiver. He's going out. He does the pose pattern. He turns. It's a perfectly thrown ball right into his hands, and he drops it. <laughs> Do you know my emotion at that moment? I forgot I dropped the ball, but I was pretty pumped he dropped his. I rejoiced in his failure. You can laugh at me, but we've all done it. We do it when the person at work gets overlooked just like we did. And we're like, yep, just yeah, they deserved it. We, we do it when we, when we get to the, to the place when we hear about somebody that has to file for foreclosure and we thought they were doing good. And we're like, ha ha, why in the world do we smile when somebody else goes into foreclosure? Admit it, you've done it. Why, why do we, okay, why do we get so happy when somebody who lost 20 pounds gains 25? Oh, Getting in some mix there, huh? Yeah. Why? Because it is part of who we are. Comparison is ugly. It makes us ugly. We get to a point where we allow ourselves to get into a position 
where, we get, where we're comparing, and it does nothing but disunify. It pushes us apart. And here's the truth, is that it doesn't matter what we're doing. We're, we're, we are being confronted here by this idea of comparison. And Jesus is talking to Peter. Because Peter is the one who just went, I've done all that. I've done all the work. I've sacrificed all that. And he goes, yeah, these people worked all day in the scorching heat. <laughs> comparison, Peter. It's, it's not, he's teaching Peter something here that's going to come up later. After Jesus is crucified, Peter is on the beach with Jesus. Jesus has called for him, and he says to him, Peter, three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And each time he says, of course I do. Of course I do. And then Jesus looks at him and changes the subjects and says, Peter, your death is going to be horrendous. Thanks. That's information I didn't want. And you know what Peter does? turns around and looks at John and goes, what about him? See, Jesus knew Peter had this issue in him. And just as Peter had it in him, we've got it in us. This comparison is a place that we put ourselves in. Here, so now we understand what's being confronted. What am I being invited into? What am I being invited into? Here is what Jesus is inviting us into, is to live content. He's inviting us to live content. It, it is exhausting and frustrating to live in constant comparison. And we, we, see, we, we see it all the time, though. We, we put ourselves in a position of comparing. It, it has been proven that if you spend more than 10 minutes at night on social media, that you will go to bed more depressed than if you didn't. Why? Because you just spent 10 minutes comparing your life to theirs. You're no longer content. By, by, I'll give you a great example. You're on vacation. You're sitting at Myrtle Beach at the pool. You're enjoying yourself. I'm not saying this is a true story, but maybe it is. You're sitting there. You have your family there. It's beautiful. Sun's shining. It's gorgeous. And you sit down on that beach chair, and you're enjoying yourself, and you flip open your, your Instagram, and you're scrolling through, and there's your college roommate in Bora Bora. Suddenly, I'm not content with Myrtle Beach. Why? Because I compared. I compared. I allowed myself to be put in a position. We do this when we watch somebody. We think, hey, they, and this is, social media is a one minute of perfection of an imperfect day. They put the one moment of perfection and we think that's their life. But in reality, they're just as dissatisfied and frustrated with their lives as we with ours. So we have, to, we have to, to live content. We are invited to live content. He invites us to know who I am in Christ. See, this is, this is where we, when we show dissatisfaction for our lives, we're not really that upset. We think we're mad at the person who has it better than us. But in reality, we're mad at God because he gave them something he didn't give us. Why can't my kids be like their kids? Why can't my kids get a full ride? Why can't my kids, why can't my house look like their house? Why can't my vacations be like their vacations? Why can't my scale look like her scale? We're upset with God because he's given them something he didn't give us. The landowner was the one who decided how much people got paid. It was the, they weren't upset with the other people that got the hundred. 
They didn't rejoice with them, but they complained to the landowner. See, your dissatisfaction says more about your relationship with Jesus than it does your relationship with those that you're comparing yourself to. You need to know who you are in Christ. You know, let me, let me give you an example. If, if a perfect parents, perfect parents, who do perfect parents compare their children to? No one. No one, because they want their, the best for their child, right? Let me ask you this. Who does your heavenly father compare you to? No one. Why? Because he has something for you, and he wants you to be knowing who you are as a child of Christ, that you are unique, special, for him, designed by him, content. So you live, you're invited to live content, you're invited to know Christ, and then you're invited to grow in your gift, my gift. See, here's what we do. We start looking at everybody else's gift, and we're like, I wish I had their gift. I wish I could have their talents. And I wish I had their, this. If I could sing, then of course I would be doing that. If I, if I, could, if I could be an athlete, then of course it would be good. If I could... And then we start, keep looking at their gifts and their stuff, and we miss out on what God's trying to do with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 22, Paul takes this topic on and runs a parallel to what Jesus is saying. Look what he says. He says, hey, the body of Christ is unique. It's special. It's designed by God. It is the church. And then he finishes all up and he says, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least, well, that's, you see where he's going with this, the parallel back to Jesus. The least will become the greatest. The greatest will become the least. Important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that we should not, be see, should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such as the extra, that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. See, when we get into comparison, we cause that disunity. We cause it to be separation. He's saying the reason why you're different and I need you to understand you're different is because I created you to be different. I need you to play your role. I need you to know your gift and that you are a child of God. He says, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. So if somebody cracks their head off concrete, we should all know we're not going to we go with them, though. And if one part is honored, all parts are glad. See, this is, this is so different than what we go with society. We go to the society comparing, but he's saying, hey, I'm inviting you to live content, to know Christ, and to grow in your ministry. So how do we live this out? How do we live this out? Galatians chapter 6, verse 4, gives us this. Paul, again, writing to the church in Galatia. Galatia says, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. Pay attention to your work, then you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone. How do we, how do, we do this? How do we live this out? So we put on blinders. Put on the blinders. See, the, you've seen these. These are legit, straight from an Amish buggy. I'm not joking. You can smell them after church. These are legit. 
my, my dad went out to, uh, to some friends of ours in, in Amish country and brought these back in. These are, these are blinders. And the reason why they'll put these on a horse, because the horse, horse has a mission. He's got to get somewhere. What, what you need to know is that the horse doesn't know where they're going. He's being directed by his master. See, as long as we keep looking around, we're going to be going all types of directions that God never intended us to go. We're going to be trying to get gifts that weren't meant for us. We're going to be trying to get into places that weren't meant for us to go. And he says, if you will just get focused on what I've called you to do, put the blinders on, and then you'll understand that I've got a mission for you. And you'll get focused on what I need you to be focused on. So what do we need to get focused on? First thing we need to do is we need to get focused on God. We need focused on God. When we understand that we are going after him, that he is who we're going after, we will live in a place of magnifying him. It's not about me. It's not about me looking good. It's not about me showing everybody how great I am. But I put myself in a position of glorifying him. What does glorifying mean? Glorifying is, just, is to magnify, to make larger. See, when we get ourselves focused on God, we make him the largest thing in our life. Everything else, won't, there won't be anything else that distracts us. When he is the focus of what we're doing, then we can magnify him with our lives. The second thing we have to be focused on is the, on gratitude. The reason why we get so distracted is because we're not content and we're not grateful for what we have. What is gratitude? It's a grateful attitude. It's an attitude of gratefulness. We've got to be thankful for where we are. I was reading a book this past week on, on Bill Gates. Bill Gates was in a, in a third world country. He walked through an extremely poor uh, village went into one of the little shacks there and he spent a little time talking to them and 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 speaking to them and then he left and a reporter that was following him said to the the lady in the shack she said hey do you realize that that was the richest man in the world that was just in your shack and the lady living in the shack said all americans are rich So we spend so much time focused on not having a big enough house that we're not grateful for the house we have. We're so focused on getting a better car that we're not thankful for the car that we have now that's kind of running. We're so focused on a different career that we're not thankful for the career that's paying our bills now. We're so focused on maybe finding somebody else that's going to be better than what we presently have that we're not grateful for what we have now. Get focused. Get grateful. And then get focused on the mission. Get focused on your mission. Your mission, as I said earlier, is not a mission that's given to you by you. If you understand that you put blinders on because you've got a mission given to you by your master who loves you and cares for you and sees you as his child, you'll go where he's calling you to go. You'll do what he's called you to do. Get focused on him.
focused on him. There's a third person that we haven't mentioned yet, and I'm going to just real quickly. That last person is the, the landowner. See, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner. The kingdom of heaven is like the landowner. What did the, king, what did the, the landowner do? The landowner went out at 6, 9, noon, 3, and 5. What he, he was going out to find people to partner with him. He was just going out, hey, I need you to join my story. I need you to join, I need you to join my story and help me finish what God, I need to do. The harvest is ready. Come join my story. I need you to join my story. I need you to join my story. What are you doing not working? I need you to join my story. I gotta get this work done. And that's the call to every single one of us. Join the story. Join his story. He wants you to join the story that so much he finishes his journey, goes to the cross to die for our sins. They put him in a grave and he resurrects. All so that you can join his story. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your story that you've given to us. We pray today that we can join your story. That we get ourselves focused on you. That we remove all the distractions. Get so focused on you that you are the greatest thing. You're the only thing we're focused on. That we know that we're on a mission with you. Lord, I thank you for the group of people in this room that are stepping out and saying they're going to follow after you no matter what. Lord, I'm also thankful for those that are ready to join the story. Today, some of them are here. They're ready to say, I'm joining the story. I'm going to follow in this story, and I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. If you're here this morning and you're ready to do that, I want you to join me in the, the remainder of this prayer. It's a prayer of commitment. It's a prayer of turning my life to Christ. And the Bible calls it repentance. You can say the words just as I say them. You can say them in your own way. Will you pray this with me? Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I want to follow after you. I make you my focus. You are my king. You are my Lord. You are my master. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for me. You were so focused on me that you allowed yourself to be crucified. You were buried and you resurrected. And today I receive the gift of salvation. I'm going to follow after you. In Jesus' name.